Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We are here today um, continuing our walkthrough of the Heidelberg Disputation from 1518 with uh, Martin Luther. And here I am with our modern reformers sitting around the table, um, Scott Slater, Dave Arnold, Tim Michael um, modern reformers in, in so many different ways, um, reforming different things, too. Um, I don't know. Keep going with that. Keep going. Yeah, just trying to talk. I just keep talking. Keep talking, man. Keep, just a talker. That's what you do. That's what I do. Um, so we're going through theses 25 through 26 today. Um, I've titled this episode, All Things Are Already Done taken from one of the theses. Um, So today we're going to talk about justification, acceptance with God, the place of our works um, in relationship to our standing with God and where they are, uh, where we can understand works in a healthy perspective and works in an unhealthy uh, perspective. So here, theses 25, I'll read these two and then we can go into our discussion. Luther writes, he is not justified who does many works, but he who without work believes much in Christ. 26, the law says, do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this, and all things are already done. So, talking about justification, um, Luther right away um, emphasizes that works are impossible. He's, he's talked about how our works and our worldly wisdom and our pers- trying to climb the ladder of the law, using the law in, a, in an unlawful way in order to gain God's acceptance or to draw near to God through the obedience to the law is futile. We cannot draw near to God through the law. In fact, the law is laid down for us because we're already far from God. We are unjust, and it serves to show us and reveal to us our unjustness and to bring us back to God, who's the only one who can actually make us righteous again. Rod Rosenblatt, talking about these uh, theses um, uh, and such, he writes this, Luther's first 24 theses of darkness expose one non-working answer after another until the reader is utterly checkmated and reduced to complete silence you me the whole race minus one talking about jesus under the verdict guilty and without excuse years ago he writes i walked campus with a colleague a professor of mathematics he asked rod what do you think was the greatest discovery during the reformation i responded the recovery of the biblical message of justification by grace alone through faith in christ alone and all propter christum by propter Christum's Latin for on account of, for the sake of Christ. He responded, I used to think that too. What could I do but ask what he now believed? And I did. Dr. Meyer then said, I think it was the recovery of a true biblical view of human sin. That little conversation I have never forgotten, and I think rightly so. Theses 25 of Luther's Heidelberg Disputation is the final turn of it. It had earlier been hinted at, but now comes right out in the open. It is nothing other than the first light of hope. Justification before the holy God by faith in Christ, sola, that is, without works, 
in his proof of it, Luther quotes Romans 3.20, later, and I think he could have added Romans 4.5 as well, Rosenblatt writes. So everything has been leading up to this, that our works are repeatedly, uh, are repeated attempts to get back into God's favor by a series of of actions or feelings or changes or modifications or desires or even repentances to try to draw closer to God can never get us right with God. The only thing that will bring us right with God is Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else. Nothing else. Full stop. So um, what we see from this really quickly is works can never justify. Works flow from justification, but do not contribute or lead to our justification. And works through faith are God's and not our own. All right, guys, any thoughts about all that? We've talked about justification and the relationship of works and um, its place in our Christian lives and how we're accepted. Thoughts? I think to add to that, it kind of reminded me of that quote. It's like when, um, I can't remember the context, but with Calvin, when he was asked um, what what was the greatest greatest offense to the gospel um, as far as the Catholic Church is concerned and so forth, and I think the person asking, I can't remember the context again, was assuming that he would say justification by faith. But Calvin said, actually, the minimizing of the sovereignty of God. And how there was such a, a, a lack of of God's sovereignty of not exalting God in His proper place for His glory, and I thought that was an interesting response. It's kind of similar to this. It's like, yeah, there's that's justifications that that very very important vital piece, but there's a bigger scope I think, which is the origin of God, you know, and that that relates to us obviously with our humanity as far as our separation from Him because of our sin but a lack of the glory of God, which we obviously see in our culture today. Mm-hmm. So I thought that kind of reminded me of that. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if you know the context I'm Mm-mm. referring to. It's no. one of his letters, I think, mm. um, that he was replying to. So Cool. I mean, we obviously talked about this some in the last podcast, just because it was <clears throat> leading leading yeah. up to this. Right. Um, and it seems so simple, this idea of justification, um, the way it's talked about here the freeness of which God gives grace, not on our mm-hmm. own, not mm-hmm. on our own works. But I really do think it's the biggest, it's one of the biggest struggles, if not the biggest struggle, even for the Christian yeah, to continue to live in and to believe. Uh, because the more we, the more we learn about God and know God, the more we recognize our sin, I think, mm-hmm. and, um, and how far we are from God. Uh, but we're told to cling to the cross and to continue yeah. to cling to Jesus. But it's just hard because, like Paul said, I, I do what I don't want to do, and the things I know I should do, I, I don't do. Right. And, again, that sounds so ignorant, but we fall into that to that same trap, and that's when Satan really attacks and starts saying, there's no way you're justified. There's no way mm-hmm. you are a Christian. Because look at these verses. If you're a Christian, you... You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and you can overcome sin, and you can flee from temptation. And you just start to sit there and think of how you don't do that, you know, and yeah. how you struggle with that. And and so then you start to think, God must really be mad at me. God, There's no way God really likes me. And, yep. uh, and so I think this is just a constant theme in our, in our lives of having to go back and be reminded, 
know, justification isn't about you. You know, justification is about him and what mm-hmm. what he has done, what he has done for you. Um, and these works are not what what save you. Mm-hmm. It's not what causes God to love you or like you. Um, but it's a it's a constant uh, it's a constant battle. And and like we talked about in the last one, it makes sense worldly that God mm-hmm. wouldn't like me every mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yes. Um, and so it's hard for us, I think, to wrap our head around grace and what it really is. Yeah. And so I have sympathy for the ones who struggle with that or the ones who think there's no way God would save me. I have a lot of sympathy for those people because yeah. it makes sense what they're yeah. saying. <clears throat> and, and Luther here explicitly talks about Aristotle in his uh, description because Aristotle had the idea, um, which is a, a in many ways, from in the world, so outside of the realm of faith, this works often. So, right, if you want to become a uh, good guitarist, you practice guitar yeah. over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Yeah, if they you, say there's a rule with that, right? Is it 10,000 10, hours? Malcolm, yeah. Malcolm Gladwell. So yeah. you or, repeatedly mm-hmm. practice guitar, or you repeatedly practice basketball, or you repeatedly try to keep woodworking. And by woodworking... By doing it, you actually become a master craftsman. Mm-hmm. You actually become a good basketball player. And that is actually, I think, even Christians can think that. If I keep doing these things repeatedly, I will become more holy. Even if they're not thinking um, in terms of their acceptance with God. In terms of their, they, we can apply this even to sanctification. Sometimes we think if I tr- if I keep repeating, if I stack good days upon another, I am more holy. And actually, that's not the way sanctification works, because you can stack as many quote good days as you want. The Pharisees had a lot of good days, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to. Everything gets flipped on its head, especially when. But here, Luther's talking specifically about justification that we have this inborn idea that the way in which to get righteous or to be righteous, and by that we're talking about the term righteousness, um, is simply living according to God's revealed plan and purpose for my life, um, God's will for my life. Love God, love people. Um, that's his broad plan for my life. And if the more I keep doing that, the more I'm righteous is what we think. But the reality is in sin, you cannot acquire this anymore. You can only be forgiven and made righteous by imputation. And then God actually works the works in you um, as a free man or woman in Christ to set you free. So righteousness is not acquired by constantly repeated action. Um, it is only given by faith, and then that sets you free to then produce good works that Luther does talk about. He says, not that the one who is justified does nothing, but that his works do not justify him. In fact, his justification, he says, produces works. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So what we're not saying, though, in this is like, let's say uh, I struggle with language. Like I'm, I, you know, let's say you just cuss like a sailor. Right. Uh, you demean people with your language often, mm-hmm. tell crude jokes. And let's say uh, you come to faith and, and God saves you, and that continues, though, in your life for a little bit. And somebody comes to you and says, you know, that's not how as Christians we are to live. And you say, well, how can I get better with this? Because I can't help it. That's what comes to my mind. Those right. words are what come to my mind. So how do we how do we do better, so to speak, in that? Uh, I think you would say, like, 
well, tomorrow, let's try not to cuss. Right. And then what you might find is after many days of trying to work on that, in a year or two, all of a sudden, you do talk better. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying that, right? You sure. can improve by practice with that. The habit. But what we're saying is you're not obtaining righteousness, though, mm-hmm. by any of those And there's also means. a difference, too, yeah. I think, in which... And this is a difference in, in nuance, but I, I guess there's a sense, too, in which... Um, Insofar as I am, so I, I think if I could think about as a human being, you have to distinguish yourself in like Luther would talk about two righteousnesses. So there's a righteousness I have on a horizontal level between myself and, and other people, a civil righteousness, but then there's the righteousness between me and God. And while those are united into right, we're one person, we distinguish those two still. So before God, my righteousness, I don't let any law, any law between me and God and my, my mm-hmm. justification and acceptance with him. Mm-hmm. But as regards myself with other people, mm-hmm. I have to, I have to, right? So yeah, there's, and that's where, that's where the law does come into play where it restrains me and it drives me back to God in Christ in the vertical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does restrain, it's restraining in that sense. And it's also saying this is, this is not good, but also what does Paul do in order to help people fight those things as well? He doesn't simply say, don't cuss. Right. He says, think on these things. What things? The things of God in Christ. Yeah, who you are in Think Christ. about who you are New in Christ creation. now. Old think about God. it. And yeah. it's kind of like um, the gospel. The gospel works this way, right? So how does, um, like, for instance, crops, they grow how? By the water that is poured from above and waters the ground. The gospel's like that. We're like the ground, and we can't produce fruit in our own strength, and we can't produce the crop in our own strength. The only power comes from what comes from above. And I think James even uses this analogy, right? It flows. Yeah, it drops from above and waters the ground so that then I do bear fruit. But the minute that I start to think the power to grow the fruit is from within myself or even my, my repeated efforts to grow the fruit, that can't grow the fruit. I have to constantly be looking above. Mm-hmm. So something I've heard, I, you guys can talk about this, is the parable of the uh, the soils. Yeah. That's not what it's called, is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? So, so, sower or soils. Yeah. <clears throat> we see, you know, seed being sown, some on fertile ground, some on unfertile ground. What I've often heard, and I'd like to hear your guys' take on this, because I don't know how accurate this is, is... You must prepare your soil to be ready. That's where we do it. I don't know if I like that. The only thing it's interesting. The only thing in that that parable that the that the the ground, um, apart from the one that produces of its own automatically, which is right, the same gospel seed is cast over multiple, is the one thing that we can do is hinder the growth. Right, which is strangling it. The choking out of The choking out of it and stuff like that. Um, I think it was even with um, Sinclair Ferguson and Alistair Begg, I think one time we're talking about sanctification. I think Alistair Begg said something like, the only thing we bring to salvation is our sin. Hmm. Even in sin. I think that's true even in sanctification. The only thing I bring is sin. Mm-hmm. It is all a work of God's free grace. Um 
And so, yeah, that that parable, though, is trying to illustrate about why is it that the same gospel fruit can go out to all these different people and um, and they don't respond mm-hmm. the and, same. And then Jesus ends, like he does most of his parables, let him who have ears to hear, let him hear. Sure. So there is that sense of... You can res- harden your own heart. Being receptive. Right. Jesus warns know. against that in Mark. He says, he tells the disciples, yeah. are your hearts also hardened? Mm-hmm. Um. Because it is possible to resist and suppress. Yeah, that's the other side of this. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anybody teach that that way that you were talking about. You have to prepare your own. That was I've a just Stephen Furtick sermon. Or was it? <laughs> no, I've just heard it in context, even of like worship services and how you have to get the environment ready for the Holy Spirit to then come mm. in and work. And mm. so you're you're kind of preparing and fertilizing and getting that soil ready and getting the people so they're not distracted but now they're focused so that now they can hear the word of god and that's what I, that's what i have to come in and do that's what the singers have to come in and do mm-hmm. right and it's like preparing that soil to get it ready um mm. which, yeah, I, mean, I, I i think there's definitely a way that you can do that that's inappropriate yeah for sure but yeah. i also at the same time understand like it's it is helpful at times to to quiet yourself right yeah. to to say to yourself okay I need I need to try to focus right now, right? Mm-hmm. Beginning before you go in church, you know, just uh, I just I want to prepare my heart to mm-hmm. receive whatever this is going to come from the scriptures today. You know, I know that what I'm going to be told is important, is going to be good for me, is what I need to hear, and so Lord, help me receive this. Yeah, I agree. I, but I think that's different than I've got to work myself up emotionally, like the singers have got to get me going. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, this yeah. parable is also talking about salvation, and it's talking about the ones who are truly Christian. And I think, you know, Jesus' warning, which we have all seen, there's people who come and they're like, oh, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, and then they just disappear. Why? Yeah. They were snatched away. You know, the same with another person. Oh, they were choked out yeah. by the weeds, right? I mean, that's really what that parable is is getting at and mm-hmm. focusing on, not a, not a worship service, you know, type of thing. But I just, I just yeah. heard it that way, and to me it almost seemed like they were putting law on on the preachers or the teachers or the people in a, in a service or even, or even somebody who's sharing the gospel with a friend, you know, of like, this is your role. And you can almost look at them and say, see, they weren't saved because you didn't do it right. You didn't have the soil ready. You didn't have it prepared. And it's just like, I feel like that's too, I feel like that's too much and that's not appropriate. It's, it's God who, yeah, no, who I've, saves. Yeah, I've, and if anything, heard that. Jesus kind of says the opposite. Like when he sends them out in twos, you know, and he says, go find a man of peace. And if he receives you, you know, and welcomes you in, then basically be with them and share. But if they don't, then dust your feet. You know, it's not your job to make sure they're ready. You know, it's your job just to be available and faithful. And then if they're not receptive, you dust your feet, you walk away. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of, Kind of goes along a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking of an example. That's good. We're talking That's about good. Just wanted to talk this time. That was all. <laughs> I appreciate you good helping job. and contributing. Um, appreciate you <clears throat> allowing me to contribute. <laughs> Being receptive to that. Being receptive to that. <laughs> Another. So what we aren't saying right is don't be zealous for good works. But I think the thing is, is you're gonna the way in which we typically think that those good works are going to come in our lives the way that God produces that is different than the way that we would typically think about it, right? We talked about it last week, right? So if you're, or last time we were recording here, um, right? So if you're, again, like if you're a baseball player and you've, you've 
struggled hitting the ball and all of a sudden you just start clenching the bat really tight and you're so obsessed with I've got to get the hit this time you're 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 so obsessed with it that you're actually going to fall flat on your face um I remember talking to a friend who was uh well this is too uh, this is too where it comes into play is right. is the base of sin so like when we look at the 10 commandments I could be like Tim, just don't kill anybody today. Right. Don't kill anybody today. Right. Don't kill anybody today. And I, I get through Some with days it. are harder than others. <laughs> right. But you get through with the day and you're like, I didn't kill anybody today. But when you talk to Jesus, Jesus is like, did you did you hate your brother at all? Yeah. Well, you mm-hmm. killed him. Were you kind of grumpy with your kids? You know what well, I mean? That's and, violating and so then that. you're like, yeah. well, how do I change that? Right. Oh, I can't. I can't do that, actually. That's right. a hard thing that only God can do. And so... It, you're, you know, you're, yes. you're right. And so that, that's what yeah. we're looking at here is like, I can say, Tim, don't cuss today. Don't cuss today. But I right. probably cussed so, out a lot so, of people. So right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't think <laughs> about a pink elephant. <laughs> yeah. What's the first thing you're doing? Mm-hmm. Thinking about a pink elephant. Right. And so it just, don't do this. For but, me, it just gets me focused on, I need Christ to change my heart yes. to where like he's, he's working in me to where I don't, I'm not getting angry. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he, he's working in me where I have, uh, I have patience. Well, All that's, these different and that's things. how Paul fights sin, right? Yeah. Paul doesn't say, for instance, you know, um, don't, I don't know. And the only way don't to be do angry is to he look was, to him. Right, you look at, remember, you're dead. This is, yeah. So he doesn't say, this is what you should do. He says, this is what was done to you. Mm-hmm. This is who you are now in Jesus. He's healed you of this, and he is still healing you of this. <clears throat> so receive this again. Yeah, That's a different way. And I think about my friend who was a, a pretty good football player. He played college football, but I remember one of the things he's, he's a linebacker and I kind of remember him talking about how, you know, just whenever you're playing football, you're not, even, you're just, whenever you're really in it, you're, you're not thinking about it. Like you're, you're not thinking too much yeah. when you start thinking too much and you're not just able to react to the ball carrier and tackling him. You're not thinking, all right, when the ball carrier comes, I will come and tackle him. I will grab his legs. I will do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's hundred percent. And that's when, what, that's the yeah. difference between, I think a, a focus on Christ versus a focus on law in your sanctification. That's a, that's really big in sports actually. It's like, because you can, like in basketball, you can train kids how to do a play. But when the game happens, the other team learns the play kind of quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so all of a sudden, they're standing where I was supposed to pass the ball. Yeah. And you'll see a lot of kids still pass the ball. And you're like, why'd you do that? That was the play. Yeah, but there was someone there. Okay. Right. And, and you need to right. teach them how to play the game, like you're saying, thinking, but at the same time, naturally, mm-hmm. you know, not thinking. And it's a that's a hard thing to do in, and that in happens, sports. Yes, yeah. let alone and that <laughs> happens through repeated failures and getting back up and doing and repentance it, yeah. and coming again and asking for God's help. That's that's the yeah, cycle. And, and honestly, one of the biggest distractions to a kid succeeding in that is when they have a coach screaming at them. Mm. They tend then to oh, yeah. be more robotic, right. more robotic because they're so scared <clears throat> and timid of of getting kicked out of the game or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. And I. That could be related to our spiritual yeah, life as well, because yeah. then I just start thinking God's just mad at me, and then right. I'm not, oh, no, I'm more tense, and He doesn't love me anymore, and you know, all right. This. It's really the same thing in music too. I, you know, I remember taking lessons, you know, because you learn very technical. But I remember my teachers, you know, talking the best thing you can do is play with other musicians, you know, and get into a band, and then you don't think it, you just feel it. Mm-hmm. You feel it, and you kind of just go with it. There's mm-hmm. a there's that kind of intuitiveness there, and that was very helpful. And I, you know, I've talked with you know oh, even even mm-hmm. teaching Luke a little bit, and, and you know, with I don't don't overthink it. Yeah, learn the technique, but 
feel it you know yeah. let it come let it be a part of your soul so right. there's two sports that are the worst for me scott will relate to one of these when i played disc golf mm-hmm. no matter how much like there's a tree <laughs> you just don't hit that tree if you throw to the left if you throw to the right it'll be good just don't don't yeah. hit the tree and right. I, so often right tree you know right and it's because you're thinking you know the whole time you're yeah. just, and you're so timid and you don't throw it as hard as you wanted to right right, and, right. yeah for sure or if you're like in the car right you're like on the way to you know or whatever you're like today i'm not going to get mad at my kids i'm not going to go to taco bell i'm not going to go to taco bell yeah i'll have the dollar box right like i'm not going to be mad at my kids all day i'm not going to be mad at my kids all day stop it kids i'm gonna i don't want to be mad at you or do you think the other way which is god in christ has forgiven me of all my sins and he's given me these children he's given me like instead of focusing on what i ought to do think of what i have been given it really makes it's a big gift difference. versus do yeah. and it's not going to solve everything in your mm-hmm. life you will fail yeah. You will fail, but that's actually, again, that's part of the built-in structure of the Christian life is repentance, so you go back to gift. Mm-hmm. The doing isn't bad. It's whenever we start obsessing about it. Whenever Adam and Eve start stopped being grateful for the gift and started obsessing over the doing and the not doing, mm-hmm. that's when they slipped into sin. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was the generosity series that yeah, we did exactly. uh, here. That was the whole focus on it is thinking about God's generosity. And then that changes a lot of times then how we even live or think. Well, th- yeah. Again, think about it with your spouse. I'm going to love my spouse today. And uh, no matter how difficult she might be sometimes, I'm going to love her, love her. Instead of thinking, my wife is a really big gift to me. God's given her to me. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful gift it is to have a godly wife who loves me and who takes care of me and who puts up with me. Especially when we don't feel good. Especially when we don't feel good. Isn't it wonderful when a wife takes care of her husband when she's sick? I mean, when just she's sick, sick? Or when he's is that sick. how it works in your house? Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> she's sick. He's hey. used to saying this. <laughs> I still yeah. need dinner. <laughs> you bunch of jerks. You <laughs> said it. <laughs> I can't help it that I found a good one. Okay. Um, so, and our works that come from uh, that God works in us are actually done our God's works, not our own ultimately. And that's the wonderful thing is he's actually at work in our lives bearing fruit. But lastly, the last thing here is um, he talks about the difference between the law and the gospel. And I love this quote. The law says, do this and it is never done. This is really kind of a reflection of Romans 1 through 3 and also Romans 7. The law says, do this and it is not simply, most Luther doesn't, Luther could have said, it's most of the time it's not done, or it's only partially done. No, it's never. That's stark language. I kind of think of when Jesus was talking about the poor, remember he said, the poor you'll always have with you. Yeah. And I, I think I think about that a lot, because uh, sometimes in churches, what we can get caught up in is charity, and it's not mm-hmm. bad, it's not bad to do that stuff, but... <clears throat> but w- I do try to remember, you know, there's always going to be people hungry. There's mm-hmm. always going to be people who are poor and homeless. Always needs. There's always going to be sick people. Yeah. Like, that's always going to be. And the fact is, we're never going to cure that. Mm-mm. And I can't I can't solve all of that. I can't do mm-hmm. all of that. I can only do what God allows me to do, right? And and so there's there's a lot of uh, rest in that, though, I think, when you yeah. when you hear that. Like what he's saying here, it's never done. Never. You know, like, oh, you don't cuss anymore? Like, we're, uh, the example. It's like, okay, let's go on to the one billion other things that you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. You know do what you, I mean? No, no, or the question you could say, so you don't cuss, but do you want to? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, it's just, 
That's again, a, that's absolutely the sin. that's the sin. Yeah, <laughs> and that's not a reason to sit there, you know, and just be like, well, then I'll just keep doing it because I'm yeah. never going to get better. Right. No, that's not it either. Right. That's not what we're saying either. Yeah, but it's, it's just actually this, that's actually because that's pride. Yeah, if I if you mean if I can't fix this with the law, then there's no hope. Yeah, then well, I no. Hang on, time out. There is another form of salvation here mm-hmm. than you saving yourself. Yeah, by doing better. Right. There is Christ. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really big form of pride. Yeah, yeah, which is the sin that. Never, yes. never seems to. Yeah. We talk about other things, which you can overcome and people overcome, you know, like, like we said, easy ones, like external your stuff, language yeah. or maybe drug abuse or I don't know. There's all kinds of things, right? That we can, maybe mm-hmm. you used to fight everybody all the time. I Stealing other team signals, uh, anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, all that stuff can be forgiven. Yeah. Or vacated. And helped. Any of those things. And yeah. helped. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when we, there are some though that we could talk about that it's yeah. like, all right, let's, let's come up with a strategy to stop this. Yeah, right. Pride, mm-hmm. selfishness. Go ahead, do it. You know, you're going to yeah. be miserable. Can the and right? Was it Jeremiah? Can the leper change his, his uh, <laughs> right? The leper yeah. changes spots. The mm-hmm. leper can't cleanse himself. That's why the leper comes to Jesus and says, "If you will, you 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 alone can make me yeah. clean." And that's why I keep talking about rest. I've noticed when I pray to end services for the past probably couple months, I'm always asking us to be reminded of the rest that's in him. And it's because if this is what we focus on when we leave, like if I get done preaching a sermon and it's be kind to your spouse or kill the pride within, there's going to be no rest that week because you're never going to do it. It's just never going to be accomplished. It's never going to be done. No matter how much good works you do, no matter how much you try and strive, it's just you are going to live a miserable life. And it's not until you realize that, that you can ever find rest. And that's what Christ offers. He's mm. like, listen, you're not going to do it. I've done it all for you. Yeah, You're still going to fall short, but guess what? I'm still going to mm. love you. I'm not going to let you go. Right. We have all this promise in him. And, and that's the only way we can rest and have peace in our life throughout the week, uh, throughout our whole lifespan is constantly going back and clinging to that cross and the mm. work that Christ has done and mm. being reminded of like, in Ephesians, that we, we have an inheritance that is ours, and it's sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Nobody can take that. Mm. Those are the only things of value and of worth that can give any sort of rest mm. or peace in a person's life. Yeah. And that's what we as a church have been called to go and tell people. You know why we, I think also we love law as uh, sinners. We are, and I, by that, I don't mean the law is bad, but I think I mean, what I mean by that is we we. We want the system of law because one of the things it seems to offer us is the illusion of free choice. Mm-hmm. Do this. So you're saying I've got a choice whether or not to do this or not do this. Now I can face the consequences if I want. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I see this, I struggle with this myself, but I see it particularly in, in especially one of my sons, that if I tell him, if I give him choice, it stresses him out. Because he can't make a choice. There's too many options. How do I make the choice? Sounds familiar with lunch. Just with my, yeah, with my free choice, I could do Who this. Are you really talking about? Yeah, <laughs> I did not have a Who problem with that. Son? I went right up front and ordered. But um, no, I'm talking about the restaurant. We after were the choice was made, I couldn't oh. get you to Scott choose where choose. we were going. Scott was in the front seat. No, wait, wait, I choose all the time. Wait to pass I one. always choose. So I'm just saying that actually, free choice. It seems to offer us that rest and freedom, but it actually 
mm-hmm. because our wills are because of where we're at. It actually stresses us out and doesn't ever offer us rest and it never finishes what it's offers. The only thing that can do that is the gospel, which tells us not what we ought to do or should do or could do. It tells us what's already done. Mm-hmm. Options over. Isn't that one of, one of the most freeing things is whenever all the options are taken out of my hands and I simply know what is. Mm-hmm. That's really comforting, yeah. actually. And that's the wonderful thing. The law, there's no rest in the law in, as, as a sinner because I can never finish it. Um, Rod Rosenblatt says this. I know I put Martin Luther as the guy, but this is actually Rod Rosenblatt. He says this. To any theologian of glory, this language seems utterly hyperbolic at best and at worst quite dangerous. After all, what will happen to human moral earnestness if people get wind of the claim that through faith in Christ, all has already been fulfilled for them? But this makes sense to any theologian of the cross. And Luther held that if there is any faltering here, all is lost. He pushes the language to the limit, refuses to back off. He insists that faith in Christ does not have to be prompted to do good works, because in faith in Christ, everything is already done. Preposterous as it sounds, it is based not on us, but rather on Christ, who has fulfilled all things for us. As Ferdy puts it, the point is precisely that the power to do good comes only out of this wild claim that everything has already been done. This is something I think that's kind of, I've, I've thought about this as regards the way we often portray and proclaim the gospel. Because sometimes in our portrayal of the gospel, and I'm not saying these are all bad, I'm just kind of talking out loud here, but even using the language of offer can seem to offer a choice in the sense of the gospel message is not God coming to me to make um, a bargain He's just telling me what's true. And what's true is Christ has taken away the sins of the world. It's already been done. And uh, and that's where, like, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is what happened. Hmm. This is what already has happened. God has reconciled the world to himself, whether you believe it or not. Now, if you want to reject that reality, you can... As John says, you can make God a liar. You're going to say God is a liar. Um, But to all of us who just come to the light, because the light is true, this is what is real. And we're called to live in reality, to live in what's true, not in what is possible, not not in what is potential, but we have to live in what has already been done. Mm-hmm. He has taken away the sins of the world. And salvation is found not so much whenever I... Because one of the dangers is, is what then becomes is we say, all right, so God has done his part. And now my part is, even if we say it's just faith alone, well, what we can, what we can, what can happen is, is faith then becomes the one work I have to do. How do I know I've believed rightly or enough in Jesus in order to get this forgiveness? But actually the gospel proclamation is 100% pure gift. Now we have to believe that, but if we're so obsessed even with our response, we lose, we take our eyes off Jesus again. And instead of, this is where I think this law gospel emphasis is very helpful, even for helping people individually soul wise and talking with them through their doubts. 
because the law is always going to promote doubt because we're sinners and it's always potential and it's never done. But the gospel says not this is what will happen. It says this is what has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You are reconciled to God. Now be reconciled to him. Mm-hmm. God has reconciled himself to you. He has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a very um, amazing message yeah. that we can proclaim, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 61. We can go tell the captives. Notice he doesn't say, he doesn't say, let's offer them freedom. Let's declare them. You are free. Mm-hmm. That's a different way of hearing the gospel message. And I don't want, when I say that, I don't want to deny that faith is required or that people who deny the gospel are, are, I don't believe in universalism, but the way the gospel works, and I'm thinking about the way people in their consciences work, at least for me, if I focus too much on the, my response, I just start doubting. Mm -hmm. I just start doubting because who knows I mean, who can trust their own responses to the gospel? Yeah, I just have to let grace be grace. Mm-hmm. It's, inter- it's interesting because I was just thinking, even the language. You know, I know you, you're in you're in the Greek world right now, Scott, in your studies. But I mean, most of, a lot of the verbs that, that Paul, explains the toga. Yes, thank you for wearing that. By the way, um, but uh, often Paul, the verbs that Paul uses are those aorist tense verbs, mm-hmm. which are past. past tense, but have ongoing implications in the present. And then when, it's, when, we're call, when there's a, a, a call to now be this, there's the imperative verb, mm-hmm. you know, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, right. and I, even in my, in my sermon last night, I was trying to kind of have that balance of like, you know, and, and there's some articles I read were very helpful of like, we have been forgiven. Justification is a declarative word that God declares a sinner justified, right? But there's still ongoing, we still need to ask, ask for forgiveness. You know, forgive me for my debts as we have forgive our, forgiven our debtors. And so there's that balance, right? Of doesn't, doesn't, to change our justification doesn't mean that we add a work to it. It's just there's personal responsibility that we have as followers of Jesus. And so there's that blend. And Paul does a nice job, especially in Romans, all of his writings, of course, of that blend of this is what's been done, but here's what you need to do in light of that. Right. No, there's actually a fascinating thing. Sinclair Ferguson in his book on sanctification highlights that if you were to take Romans 1 through 11, mm-hmm and search for the imperatives, you'll find hardly any. Yeah. Because the gospel, strictly speaking, the old writers would say this, the gospel, strictly speaking, contains zero imperatives. Mm -hmm. The gospel is only promise Mm -hmm. that I receive. My response to the gospel is not the gospel. So my response to the gospel is not my salvation. Jesus is my salvation that I receive by faith. Yeah. Um, and, um, those things, while maybe seeming to be fine points are actually, I think life and death for a lot of people in their, in their consciences and in their souls. Mm-hmm. You know what I thought of my, my aunt is <clears throat> a big Michigan fan. She really likes football. And she told my dad after the game, uh, cause we're in the college football playoffs right now. She's after the game, Michigan wins a thrilling game against Alabama on overtime. She told him now I'm going to go back and watch the game so I can enjoy it. <laughs> that's what she said. That's good. And uh, that's kind of what we have in the gospel, mm-hmm. what you guys are talking about. Right. It's done. And so I don't have to sit there and stress about turnovers when I go and watch Michigan replay. Point. You know that's what I mean? I don't. Point. I can just sit and enjoy it because I know 
they're going to win. He rises from the dead. After <laughs> yeah. This. yeah. And it's the same with the gospel. It's like, I, I know I, I win because I'm mm-hmm. in Christ. He, yeah, he rises from the dead. He ascends on high. He's coming back, right? He's having a place prepared for us. I know all of this stuff. And so, yeah, I'm seeing the difficulties, right? You can still watch the game and you see the turnovers and, you right. know, and even when you know it's coming, you know, still, even it's a, even though it's a replay, you're like, Oh, bad pass, you know, or whatever. We, we know this as Christians and it's, yeah. it's done. And it's so good. I don't have to, I don't have to stress. I don't have to mm-hmm. yeah, freak out. Mm-hmm. Uh, victory, victory is ours. Our faith does not activate the gospel. Yeah. My faith does not flip the on switch for the gospel for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another, this is the proclamation kind of of the gospel that I'm talking about. Isaiah chapter 40, verse one, comfort, comfort my people says your Lord speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. Tell her what her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned in the past that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, Israel hasn't believed that yet, but he comes to them already and says, remember in Isaiah 44, he says, I've, I've atoned for all of your sins. And so the gospel isn't simply saying, this is what could be in your life. It's, this is what's reality. Now, if you choose to ignore reality, um, then, then, then you've then you've rejected Christ. But that is that's a different way of proclaiming the gospel than I think we often hmm. hear sometimes. Um, I don't know. Just a different way of I think of emphasizing that never done versus already, mm-hmm. already done. I'll close here with this little thing from a guy that I love, uh, Bo Yertz. He writes this: the conscience, our own anxiety, and all slaves of law bid us go the way of obedience to the very end in order to find peace with God. But the way of obedience has no end. It lies endlessly before you, bringing continually severer demands and constantly growing indebtedness. But now Christ is the end of the law. The road ends at his feet. And here his righteousness is offered to everyone who believes. It is to that place, to Jesus only, that God has wanted to drive you with all your unrest and anguish of soul. The road ends at Jesus's feet. Very good. Okay. Well, thanks for going through this, guys, with you me. You know, I was looking at Scott's water bottle here. Yeah. <clears throat> I love this water bottle. He's got stickers all over it. And it's got, like, places he's been. Fort Faith, where we go to camp. Baptist Village. Camp Sela. Biscuit Belly. Place he <laughs> apparently went and loves. Place he used to work at. 20 Schemes. I don't know what this sticker is. What one? That one. It's the IMB. Oh, it is? So that must be what the bottom one is. Oh, no, that's Southeastern. Go and make disciples. Yeah. Then he's got a section devoted to people he looks up to. He's got John Knox. He's got Spurgeon. Who's that? Is that Calvin? That's Calvin. Calvin. So I thought. And then Party Marty. Party Marty <laughs> he made, made it. List. One of the Just great. Interesting, yeah. One of the great theologians of, of our, our time. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that one be awesome great, to have a, a, a bust of, of, Spur- of uh, Marty's <laughs> Marty. head? Yeah. Like with that hat backwards. <laughs> I just love that. Really cool. I thought it was awesome. Right. Yeah, we like, just all know is. don't follow Marty out of the bathroom, right? No. Because the toilet might be overflowing. It's probably not working. Remember at camp last year? Yeah, he overflowed the toilet. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, were you there when he had to defend himself in front of the whole camp? Yeah. In the chapel? Yes, he got in front of the whole chapel? Probably the day yeah. he was taking a nap. 
Yeah, he was at yeah. Scott was taking a nap that day, probably. Back was hurt. People can't take naps at camp. It's not a time for <laughs> that. I bet Marty takes a nap every I take, day. I take a nap every day. Yeah, you do. So you know what? That's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I'm resting. Rest. There's Rest. no law. We should, that should be the next camp theme. Rest. <laughs> we just we're still gonna take naps. Okay. We're going to have we a get dedicated... a lot of more adults to sign up. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And you know what? You might have some more people in better moods every day. Yeah. <laughs> Quiet <laughs> time. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. No, I just, I'm sorry. No, I got distracted. Good. I was appreciating his water. We bottle. love Party Marty. We do. Here. We love Party Marty. And if you want to have a good time, uh, call Marty 734. 1-800-PARTY Marty. 1-800-PARTY with Marty. All right. Thanks for listening. Take care. God bless.